0: What's going on, everybody? You're listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have with us a special guest. I have Afua Sosu. She's a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and has completed clinical work with people found not guilty by reason of insanity, a PTSD clinic and in federal prison with group and individual therapy. She focuses heavily on racism, racial injustice, and their intersection with mental health. Her study, psychophysiological and affective reactivity to media images, implies that images of black people in positions of pain, diminished authority, or suffering in other ways causes measurable negative shifts at a physiological level, resulting in sadness and anxiety. Welcome to the show, April. Glad to have you on. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this important conversation.
0: Yes, it is indeed an important conversation. Really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to just take a moment to shout out all the listeners across the world in all 60 plus countries. Thank you guys for continuing to listen and support the same show, continuing to like, share, and subscribe. Keep showing that support, showing that love. I really appreciate you guys. I love you guys. And if you are listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show. Again, SANE underscore show, S-A-N-E underscore show. And then on Facebook, The Sane Show. Again, you can find us on Facebook, The Sane Show. So today we're going to be talking about the impact of televised lynchings. And Then we're also going to have a conversation about mitigating traumatic impacts. Following that, we're going to have an interview with you, A4SO. The listeners can learn more about you, your research, and all the things that go into that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with the first topic, the impact of televised lynchings. So like you said, this is an important conversation that needs to be had. And a few weeks ago, at the height of the current civil rights movement, aka the Black Lives Matter movement, (laughs) and the murder of George Floyd, I abruptly pulled the episode that was supposed to be released that week and brought together a group of people to have a discussion about it. For me, it was kind of like, okay, we need to talk about this. This is a, this is something that needs to be discussed. Emotions are high. As a podcaster and a growing influencer, like I need to take a stance on this and I need to let people know where I stand and also help to encourage people to have a conversation, do the right thing, educate not only yourselves, but others So I'm glad that we decided to have you on the show and that you're doing the research that you're doing because I look at this as the next step. Mm -hmm. We talked about that situation, but we we also need to continue the conversation and take it to another level. And so when we talk about the impact of televised lynchings, obviously, and in your research, you do touch on this, the psychological effect that it has on Black people specifically. And so if you could just kind of Give the listeners a bit of an idea as to this impact that televised lynchings have on the Black community.
1: So I I guess maybe a little later we'll get into like the nitty gritty details of the study. But just to give a quick mm-hmm. overview of what I found. I found that when Black adults view these images, they experienced greater fight-or-flight responses. So our fight-or-flight responses, those are what we engage in when something happens. Like if a bear was chasing you, fight-or-flight response, right? So in viewing these images, those are the types of responses people had in their bodies, and then they also experienced more negative mood, greater anxiety, and greater tension from viewing these images. Um, And these were still images, so these weren't even videos, which also says a lot.
0: It's interesting because we talk about how we see this time and time again. And one of the things that I thought about as I was putting this together is the the crazy part, you know, you're watching the news, right? You watch the news to get information. You're being informed about these racial injustices that are being done to black people. But then I sat back and I said, well, you know, it, it almost feels like a warning Yeah. because you talk about, Okay, again, you keep seeing it, you keep seeing it, you keep seeing it. Like, I can tell you now, is like literally, like a month or two ago, my grandmother said, don't forget you're Black. And that said a yeah. lot to me. So, you know, you see these images, it's like, this is what can happen to you. Or this is what will happen to you, should you have a run-in with the law. And it's really, it's really sad.
1: Mm-hmm. It really is.
0: I won't even kid you. I was on, <laughs> when I was driving the other day and I'm on the phone with my friend and I hear a siren on his side though, but okay. I freaked out because I'm driving on the highway and I'm thinking a siren, oh crap, I'm about to get pulled over. I don't know what's about to happen. And mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's very important that we were having this conversation because these are the things that need to be talked about and that I think sometimes get overlooked. Especially because something I mentioned to you is the the idea that people, as you said, desensitize, becoming for desensitized. Sure. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think what you're the point you're making about the messages these events send us is so on point, right? Because it's not just you know I see someone dying, oh that's unfortunate, but the event sends clear messages about my potential fate as a black person in this world. It also subconsciously it gets to us. I remember my partner was telling me about dreams he was having, about, you know, police being after him or after both of us. And I was like... I wonder if my non-Black counterparts are having these types of dreams, right? So tell mm-hmm. us a lot about our position in this society. And when you think about the various murders that have occurred, they've told us, if you are walking, trying to get some Skittles, you're going to die. If you're running, you're going to die. If you ain't get house sleeping, you're going to die. And what does that do to us as a people, as a, as a community, to know that there is no activity Or we can take part in or no place we can be that would make us safe. Like, that's a very frightening reality. And I think people almost don't want to sit with that, right? That's like a very jarring reality to have to contend with on a daily basis.
0: It really is, especially when you talk about, like, non-Black people. And one of the things I noticed is that obviously there's this there's this misconception about the black community, the black experience, and the idea that black people have been have obtained all of their rights. And so people look like well, why are they being killed? But then one right. of the things that I said and I still continue to say is that it's so easy for people who aren't who don't look like us, who don't whose community doesn't experience what our community experience it's so easy for them to t- turn the TV off and that's it for sure you know another black guy got killed oh that's sad all right that's it for today <laughs> you know
1: right and I, and I think also what's tough is I don't know that fully, that people fully appreciate that these sort of blatant instances of us being assaulted murdered oppressed are indicators of also subtle things that happen on a day-to-day basis, right? So it's not just about, you know, I turn on my TV and I see what's happening to George Floyd. It's also the daily experiences, right? Like being discriminated against in a grocery store. I was just telling my partner the other day, I was... You know, in Walmart, ask someone for help. And he was like, that's not my department. Not let me hand you off to somebody. Oh, I think this person could help you. It was just like, nope, that's not my department. And I asked, I was like, well, can you direct me to someone who could help me? He was like, well, I mean, if you walk around over there, you'll probably run into someone. And I like spent like 20 minutes on the phone, like processing mm. this situation. And I said to my partner, that's 20 minutes. I'm never going to get back. Right. And it, it's not a it wasn't a big right. thing. You know, I didn't wake up thinking about it, but like there are the daily slides and then there are these more blatant kind of world shattering events. But they to me, they are one and the same.
0: You, you made something come to mind. Oh, OK. That that was my my next point, it, because we're 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 in a really interesting time, as we all know. Right. You know, we're we're dealing with a global pandemic. Stay at home orders are in place and everybody's sitting at home with nothing to really do and a lot of people obviously it's been shown that people are engaging online more than ever whether they're streaming on netflix hulu prime they're on facebook twitter instagram wherever they spend their time online but people are spending a tremendous amount of time online and obviously when these kinds of things happen news the online, the social media, it just get, it goes wild. Videos are being shared left and right. And so I think as well that those people who don't understand the, our experience are like because of what's going on and that people you know, are stuck inside and spending more time on social media and other you know media outlets. It's almost as if they're they have no choice but to mm. face what's happening. You see what I'm getting at?
1: Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And I I know that it's what about like 70% of U.S. adults have some sort of social media account. And on Mm -hmm. average, people are spending two hours a day online. So you can only imagine (laughs) with COVID-19, everyone being quarantined, how those numbers have skyrocketed. But I think something that's interesting. So you mentioned folks are stuck inside, so it almost forces them to contend with our lived experience in a weird way. I think it's flipped for some black folks. When George Floyd was murdered, I heard a lot of people saying, I am so glad we're all stuck at home because now I don't have to go to work and put this face on and act like nothing is happening when my whole world is falling apart. Because that was the experience before the quarantine. Someone gets shot we all go to school go to work and everyone else is like how was your weekend they was like fine and we're sitting here just looking crazy because we're we're trying to put the pieces together and it seems like no one else is aware of this huge thing that has happened so it seems right. like for black people this has almost been a kind of a way for us to like connect and bond and actually process what has happened in privacy
0: then you have people like me who have to go to virtual meetings. and I'm, Oh, yeah, I'm there's that.
1: <laughs> on Zoom, looking salty. Yes. Yes.
0: And that, it, it was literally a thing of like, oh, you know, my weekend was all right, you know, doing this and that. And then everybody's like, okay, you guys are Debbie Downers today. i mm.
1: right. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that,
0: that's literally, it's, it's, it's so crazy that. It sounds like a joke when you when you talk about that experience, but
1: mm,
0: yeah. It's what we live. It is our reality and people are starting to see that because literally yes. I've had people say to me, "Oh, you know, I I apologize. I was a bit insensitive." Like, "Yeah." And then to say, "I saw what happened over the weekend, but then I just cut the TV off and out." So.
1: Oh. <laughs> How do you even respond to those things? I think that's, well, that's a whole different conversation, but how, how yeah. the onus is on us to even figure out how to navigate these stressful social interactions in addition to the stress of what's happening to people that look like us. Mm-hmm. It's tough.
0: It really is. It really is. All right, we're back. Now we're going to talk about mitigating the traumatic impact and this is why you know, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because it's, you know too often do we get so caught up in talking about what's the problem like we know the problem we spend a lot of time and, and and we should spend a lot of time dissecting the problem the who the what the when the where the why so that we can get to the how right and the how, I, in our conversation, I guess, is the, the mitigating the traumatic impacts. And I will say, I'm. it makes me happy to see people or there being a growing conversation amongst people, but mainly in our community, talking about, hey, we have to... Not circulate these videos as much, and something you talk about in your research as well, uh, you know I don't wanna, I don't want to dive so deep into it, but you know we we do have to we do have to think about ways in which we can start working towards a solution because one of the things I said in that recording that we did that following week of the George mm-hmm. Floyd incident is that there's a lot of things that need to be done, and it's a very complex. Situation, And one of the things that I, that concerned me is the idea that people are going to get discouraged mm, because how much yeah. work is going to take, but what we need to do is take in one thing at a time, one step at a time. We do this and then we do that, you know, cause we, it's a, it's a process you have to, you know, we have to work towards that bigger picture that we're looking to get to it's not going to happen overnight <laughs> no. and so when we start talking about hey we we don't need to circulate this video as much that's part that's that's a small step but it, it can have a huge impact because again like we talked about in the previous segment we keep seeing this and we keep seeing this and we keep seeing this and the, the effect that it has on people it can take a toll on people for sure you tell me your thoughts
1: I agree. I think this is a multifaceted issue and it didn't happen overnight, right? Mm-hmm. We are talking about years, decades, of centuries of the subjugation of Black people in this country. So we're not going to just march and protest and advocate our way through it in a week. So because it's a multifaceted issue, it requires a multi-pronged solution. Mm-hmm. I think there are several approaches. So first, we need a start with doing something right i think in general people feel better when they are actively engaged in affecting change for me i think that looks like infiltration so in addition to having conversations if you have a way to get into some of the systems that are problematic do so. We're having a lot of conversations right now about decarceration, defunding the police, abolishing the police, and those are good conversations. We should be having all those conversations. But in the meantime, in between time, people are confined now. People are being policed and abused now. And so we need to find ways to work with and within these systems until we see the change that we're hoping for, if that makes sense. So I think that first move should be infiltration, figuring out what role you can play in changing systems for the better. And I I fully appreciate the conversations about, you can't fix something that's broken, we need to tear it down. But after being within a federal prison, it just gave me this appreciation for how complex systems are, that it's not just, you know, a simple, you speak to this one person and You can see change. There, there are levels to this, right? Um, So I think that first step is is definitely infiltration. So doing something, and then second, taking care of yourself. I love using mindfulness and other strategies to help reduce distress. And if it's okay, I'd like to even just shout out a couple of strategies for listeners that I think might be helpful. Please,
0: please, by all means.
1: Yeah, for sure. So right now is an interesting time because like mental health and therapists are buzzwords, but especially within the Black community, there's still a lot of stigma associated with seeking treatment. And sometimes the reality is you may not necessarily need to see a therapist and you don't need to be seeing a therapist to start tackling mental health. So deep breathing sounds pretty basic, but the reason why it works is because when you inhale, your heart rate increases, but when you exhale, it decreases. So a deep breathing technique is to inhale for about, two to four seconds and then exhale for longer than you inhale that's the only key exhale for longer than you inhale and it'll literally bring your heart rate down so it's not just a mental thing in terms of making you feel better it works physiologically so it works with your body and then another one is submerging your face in a cold bowl of water I have done this multiple times in graduate school. When I say this works and the reason why it works is, again, it brings your heart rate down. So you just hold your face in the water until you can't stand it. You come up for air and then you do it again. And these are really nice ways to reduce your level of stress and de-stress, whether it's after seeing some of these images or just in everyday life, right? Because stressors, we can't really compartmentalize them. They all build up. And there's also an app called Headspace. uh, And this is an app that can help you learn about more mindfulness strategies. And and mindfulness, I I didn't even define it for you guys. So mindfulness is really just this being... In the present on purpose, not thinking about yesterday, not thinking about tomorrow, just focusing on being in this moment. So I think Mm. using strategies to take care of yourself, especially when there's so much you cannot control. And that's at the core of mindfulness. It's not accepting the way things are, but recognizing where your power is that I can only change so much. And so I'm going to control the parts I can't control myself so do something take care of yourself take care of others if you're gonna be on social media posting stuff be mindful that not everybody may have the same capacity that you have to watch videos and look at images and also we are all sponges and we don't recognize it and going back to what i was saying about my partner having you know dreams about police There are ways that things pop up in your subconscious that you would not even believe. And so just really being mindful of what you're consuming and then also what you're putting out there for others to consume. So maybe that looks like putting a warning, hey, posting this video because I'm trying to raise awareness. However, it is very graphic and very disturbing. So please keep that in mind before you consume it. And then finally, I just want to acknowledge to all these things, there's a caveat, right? So if we conceptualize racism as being like the water in which fish swim, we only have two options. You either change the fish or you change the water. There's no three ways to this. So I've told you about how you can change the fish, right? Engaging in the mindfulness, uh, the infiltration, doing something that can change the water. But if we focus so much on changing the fish and we never change the water, that just makes absolutely no sense because the fish will always end up back in the water, so it, it, it does little good to address racism if people are going to return to those same racist worlds. And at some point, we have to say, hey, we're going to ditch the water. We bring it in the chlorine. We're bringing in the company that knows how to <laughs> how to uh, purify the water. We're going to look at the source. Where is the dirty water coming in from? Okay, we need to patch that up. We really need to get to the water. We need to get to the systems. We need to get to the culture. And I think we've almost been deceived into believing Things just are the way they are. Culture is so malleable. It is the most malleable thing. You bring one person in, you take one person out, culture has changed. And we have to have that optimism and, and maintain that hope that we can change culture. We can change systems.
0: got to speak. I wish, a, <laughs> I wish I had a, a, a snap sound effect for that one. <laughs> Listen, let
1: me let me uh, tiptoe off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You you said a lot of you said a lot of great things there, and I, I'll even from personal experience, I've I've had one individual reach out to me and like just telling me to be mindful of other of other people, mainly you know black people, as far as you know continuing to post because I have a higher I guess a higher tolerance mm, um, for real. these things, and I, so I'll admit like that was something that. I had to learn. And and even for myself, I eventually got to a point where it's like, you know what? I need to take a break. I will say, even though I disagree with their policies, Facebook, um, <laughs> I will, I will give it to them for implementing on their social platforms, Facebook and Instagram, the warning, um, graphic content warning and you press it to proceed and watch it so Mm -hmm. i i do appreciate them for doing it because even though i know what it for the most part i I have a good idea what it is and most of them have been pretty much the same i'll tap it and say okay yeah i don't want to watch this but Mm -hmm. i just Mm -hmm. out of curiosity i just had to look right is it is it what i think yep okay next i don't have the capacity right now so I, i i definitely agree go ahead
1: I love that, though, that you are you're making those decisions on a daily basis. Right. So maybe on Monday you can watch this video. But if you get to Friday and you're like, oh, been too much, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend and we were talking about this tension between this There's this guilt for not watching the videos. This person has died. The least I can do is stomach the video. And she was making this really good point that it's our responsibility to know what is going on, to be informed, to stay abreast with the news. And I pushed back against it a little bit because I don't know that what best serves George and Ahmad and Brianna and Eric and Tamir and Mike and all Sandra, all the names. Uh, I don't know so what that serves on. them is for me to be in a state that I can't live to fight another day. Right? right. And so we really have to be mindful of that as well. Like there, and there are other ways to honor their memories Without right. subjecting ourselves like I still to be honest didn't watch the video of George Floyd didn't watch the video of Ahmad and it's because it does not take much for me to get stressed and I will stay in that state for hours if not days and so because I know that about myself I'm like what I will do I will read articles I will understand what happens and honestly our imaginations and knowing our country you don't even often have to see these things to fill in the gaps I was like okay okay neck being pressed in by someone's knee i can envision Mm -hmm. what that looks like without seeing it i can imagine the horror on his face i can imagine what was going through his mind and i guess point is you know if you're gonna watch it Take care of yourself, but also if you don't wanna watch it, it's okay. You are no less woke, you are no less committed to the cause. That's true. You are no less black, you are no less of an accomplice. I like to use the word accomplice rather than ally because we are past the point of allyship, but I'm gonna leave that alone.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, like take care of yourself so you can fight and affect the change you wanna see.
0: I did like how we on Juneteenth, we all like nobody was really posting, like we not posting Anything outside Juneteenth. <laughs> like right. this is right. our day to celebrate. And then we're gonna get back to it. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. as a but it was just cool, like as a collective, like everybody's like, okay, we're this is our day of rest. This is our Sunday.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is our Saturday. We're gonna
0: celebrate <laughs> and, yes. be, and, and embrace our blackness today, but we're gonna get back to it tomorrow. So I I just want to add that little tidbit.
1: No, I love that we did that. And I think that's another example of, you know, ways that we can be in community and support and elevate our voices uh, in ways that don't are not necessarily detrimental to our health.
0: All right, we're back now for the interview. I'm going to ask you a few questions, for so that we can take a deep dive into uh, your study, your research, and you know, learn more about that and a lot more insight to that as well. So I'm going to fire off with my first question. We're an entertainment podcast. So many of our listeners uh, need a quick crash course. So quickly, what's the difference between psychology and psychiatry?
1: That's a good question. So I think it might be helpful to start with the similarities between the two professions. So, psychologists mm-hmm. and psychiatrists. So, we all treat mental illness, and we also use the same book. Um, It's called The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM for short. So it's this lengthy book that lists all of the psychological disorders. And when I say it is long, that thing is long. So those are the similarities. In terms of differences, psychologists, we go to graduate school, whereas psychiatrists go to med school. And then psychologists typically don't prescribe medication, whereas psychiatrists do. Now, caveat there is increasingly, states are allowing psychologists to have prescriber privileges. So Iowa, Idaho, Illinois, New Mexico, Louisiana are the five states, to my knowledge, that allow psychologists to prescribe medication. But of course, you need to have the appropriate training in order to be able to do that. And then psychologists, we engage in talk therapy, some of the popular ones, cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, and psychiatrists also engage in talk therapy. They also engage in cognitive behavioral therapy. I will say, I think psychologists have a bigger toolbox when it comes to the types of therapies. And when you think about the course of training for psychologists versus psychiatrists, like I said, psychiatrists are in med school. So they're learning a lot about The brain and the body and how medications come in, whereas psychologists, we're focused on research and clinical work, so we have more time to really dive into a wider array of therapy types. So in summary, (laughs) psychiatrists, they use a mix of medication and therapy to treat psychological disorders, whereas psychologists, we only use therapy, and also you don't have to have a... Like clinical diagnosis to come to a psychologist, like if you're having a stressor, you lost a family member, you broke up with a partner, you'll probably end up seeing a psychologist or another mental health clinician, whereas you're less likely to end up in a psychiatrist's office for these more run-of-the-mill stressors.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. So quickly, for the purpose of our discussion, could you briefly explain the difference between Affect and effect. Yes. if you could, in layman's term, give a quick overview of your study as if you were explaining it to an elementary school student.
1: The difference between affect with an A and effect with an E, because this plays into my study. Affect with the A is a feeling state that people experience. So in psychology, we tend to categorize Affect into positive and negative. So positive affect includes moods such as, you know, being excited or enthusiastic, whereas negative affect refers to moods such as anger, guilt, fearfulness. And then effect, right, is the result of a change. Uh, And so I'll Instead of using affect and getting you guys confused, I'll just say mood because that's really what we're talking about. Now, there are some emotion researchers who argue there's a difference between affect and mood, but we're not going to get into weeds right now. So to give y'all a quick overview of my study, let me get my elementary school hat on. Let me backtrack because I think it's important to also talk about just where this study even came from. August 9th, 2014, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, we go hard. Best city on the earth. Shout out to my borough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. So (laughs) I was in Brooklyn on that date, celebrating my 23rd birthday. At the end of the day, went up to my room, knelt by side of my bed, scrolled through Facebook, looked at my feed, and I learned that Michael Brown was murdered. And they left his body in that street for four hours. And so I had this guilt is the best word I can use to explain what I was feeling. Here I was turning 23, he wasn't going to see his 19th birthday, why was I living, why did he die? I had so many questions and this was about a year before I would start graduate school and it really got me curious about the impact of seeing these images on social media over and over again myself and even some of my friends began to stay off of social media because it was just too much and I'm like if it's too much it must be impacting us in some way like there's something about viewing these images that's that's overriding our desire to check in with our friends or see what's going on on the, the interwebs and so that's how I got interested in the study and I think there are some questions as researchers that are asked out of curiosity and then there are other questions that come from your lived experience people like to say the best research is me search and I think that's really true I have a brother who is a corrections officer and has a a license to carry a gun and after Philando Castile I found myself thinking what happens if my brothers pulled over Will he have the same fate and so that's really just how I got into this study so my, my goal for this study was to basically understand three things one how do these images impact our bodies? Two, how do these images impact our mood? And then three, how do an assortment of factors influence the intensity of our body and mood responses? And so I recruited 101 Black adults. They came to a research lab at UNC. And I beforehand did a pre-study where I basically came up with the images I would use and tested them on a separate group of people online to make sure they were legitimate and operating the way I thought they should. And so Black folks came into the lab. They were attached to electrodes. So if you've ever done an EKG anything related to measuring your heart, these are stickers attached to wires that are placed all over your body. And these electrodes were going to measure what their hearts were doing. And so they had these on, they start viewing images. I have them view different sets of pictures. There were three sets in uh, total. So one set, police images, Black people being assaulted or shot by police officers. There was another set of Black people experiencing stressful Situations like wading through the waters of Hurricane Katrina or in poverty or in homelessness and then another set of black people just engaged in everyday activity and the reason why I had three different sets is because I couldn't just look at people's responses to those images of folks being assaulted or shot by police officers I needed to have something to compare those responses to so everyone viewed all three sets of images and after they viewed the images, and mind you, like I said, they had the electrodes on the whole time. So I'm getting their continuous, we call it physiological activity, basically continuous body responses. And I was also getting their mood. So after each set of images, they would also note how they were feeling. And after they looked at these images, took off all the stickers and wires, and I had them to complete some questionnaires that asked them different things like, how important is your race to you? That's what we call racial and centrality the significance and meaning that people attribute to their race. This is part of their racial, their overarching racial identity. I also asked them how often they experienced discrimination in the past year and a bunch of other questions. Here, the goal was really to understand what are these factors that are going to influence the intensity of people's responses. So, for example, let's say I'm viewing the images and I am someone who I'm like, Black power, we're going to ride till we die, Like, I'm, I'm in this struggle. Mm-hmm. Being Black is really important to me. It's possible that when I see these images, I'm going to show even more negative mood, even greater physiological reactivity, so even stronger body responses because I love my people and if one of us is hurting, we're all hurting and I'm really resonating with the images, right? right? Versus somebody else, let's say I'm black, but I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm black, but I'm not, you know, I don't know how I feel about the Black Lives Matter movement or maybe I, you know, maybe I'm into it, Mm. but I'm not like as intense as this other person. Maybe for that Mm -hmm. person, they may be bothered by the images but not as much so do you see where i'm going with this like these questionnaires help me to figure out what are these individual differences factors that differ across people that might influence how they respond to these images So I'm going to pause, because I just said so much. (laughs) So that's that's an overview of the study. I kind of already gave you guys the results ahead of time, which were, I saw greater sympathetic activation, so that fight or flight, greater body responses to these violence images as compared to the neutral condition, which makes sense. Like, you should be more aroused to seeing Black people shot than Black people just chilling on the corner. But what was interesting that I didn't mention before is the way people responded to that violence condition was not significantly different. So there was no statistical difference compared to how they responded to the distress condition. So remember, that was a condition where people were viewing images of Black people suffering, but in relation to poverty, homelessness, Hurricane Katrina. And I think that's important because it also tells us I don't think it. you could interpret that as, oh my goodness, so maybe viewing these images aren't that big of a deal. But how I interpret it as, or excuse me, how I interpret it is that that distress condition, you may not be seeing Black people getting shot by police officers, but that's institutional racism, right? That's systemic racism. Yeah. Seeing people suffering because of poverty, yeah. right, and these disparities, that's just as problematic as viewing these images of police officers assaulting or shooting black people.
0: That's very true. So your, your study is a complex analysis, one of a kind for many reasons. Do you, do you consider it an answer or the beginning of an entirely different set of questions? If you could continue to dive further, what specifically do you want to pursue?
1: I do think it's the beginning in terms of this research area. So this disgusting phenomenon of Black people getting shot and, excuse me, murdered by police officers. It's Mm -hmm. it's different than a lot of the research we've been doing on racial discrimination. A lot of the research focuses on what we call interpersonal discrimination. So you call me the N-word or you follow me around in a store. That type of stuff is considered interpersonal discrimination. But this type of thing is different and it's called vicarious discrimination. Vicarious discrimination is defined as indirectly experiencing discrimination by observing it happen to someone else. So I don't get called the N word, but I see a black man shot and kicked or a knee put on his neck, right? That's very different. And there's some research to suggest that. Vicarious discrimination is actually more common now. So I do think more research needs to focus on this particular area of racial discrimination. And so part of me wants to see this work get replicated. There are a couple, literally two (laughs) other studies that did something similar, but they looked at differences in how black and white people respond to these images. I do think that can be an informative type of approach, but I also think it's important to question, what are we, what are we really saying when we create these studies where we compare differences between races? Like what, what conclusions do we draw? And I think there's something to be said for doing research that just focuses on black people. And that says it is important to look at how black people respond just because we don't have to compare us to anybody else. Our lived experience can stand alone on its own, right? So, in yes. thinking about the research getting more nuanced, what's the difference between, I had one participant who said, yeah, it was stressful to look at these images, but it would have been even worse if there was sound. And I was like, huh, so if people viewed videos, would they have had an even stronger body response and even stronger mood response. So I I do think it's important to start to get nuanced as we examine this particular area of racial discrimination being vicarious discrimination. But then I also think, and this is my love-hate relationship with research, right? So we can do Mm -hmm. research from here till tomorrow, and that's cute, but we really need to start thinking about interventions. And we do need to engage in research to have the knowledge base to create effective interventions but i think we need to start pumping the brakes just a little bit on research like okay experiencing racism is bad we know viewing it is bad we know i'm not sure that we need like 500 more studies to confirm that and so typically there are researchers who focus on mechanisms kind of like what i was explaining before so If you if being black is more important to you, how does this change how you respond to the images? And that's all well and good. But I think we need more people who are focused on the interventions and the two aren't the same. So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking in terms of the future of the work.
0: Okay. so across your career, you have worked in portions of the mental health sector that are commonly associated with systems that can neglect or worse abuse the most vulnerable members of society. How do you see a way toward positive growth forward for everyone though, through increased awareness of mental health and does media have a role in that?
1: For sure, uh, good question. <laughs> so, I'm going to harken back to what I was discussing before this idea of infiltration is very important to me and I think one way towards the positive growth is to continue to critique systems but to also critique with our feet and I think in 2020 where I mean culture is just off the chain right now we have cancel culture we have just so much going on I think it's easy to say things and post things yeah. and elevate your voice and really not do anything and and that's not to say and it, it's tough right because some people argue mm-hmm. you know if we don't want being oppressed why do we have to be I feel that on such a deep level but to me it's the same thing as and this has also come up in terms of It's not my role to educate people. Right. It's 2020. Go on Google. Now that's real. (laughs) And I can hold so much space for that. And yet if somebody is stepping on my foot, they will only know to get off if I shout and scream right and so i think we have to find this balance between it's not my responsibility but i also can't get mad at something that i'm not actively working against and i have to educate people and I, and i do think some of us are going to be in that role more than others i think some of us are going to be better at educating and have more of a capacity for it and others of us are going to you know play other roles and that's okay like we we need all parts of the body to function so going back to the infiltration bit I really think it's important for there to be more black people, police forces in prisons. And like I said, while we're having conversations about what these systems look like tomorrow, we need to live in today at the same time. Like there are currently people incarcerated. There are currently people in police custody and we need to hold space for those people and not be so focused on the promised land that we forget what's happening like right now so i think that's the first thing like that infiltration bit i really want to drive that home for people and then in thinking about ways towards positive growth forward and increased awareness of mental health we need to continue to tear down stigma it's bizarre to me that there is still stigma. You know, if I was telling someone, I was on another podcast earlier this week and we were talking about if I were getting attacked by a dog, like if a pit bull, I'm sorry to pick on pit bulls. They're cute, but if a pit bull attacked me (laughs) and I started like blood was gushing out of my leg, nobody would get on their knees and start praying. Not nobody. But for some reason, when people are hemorrhaging psychologically, We're like, oh, let's pray. Did you try to work that out? Did you try to do this? And we don't recognize that there are mental health doctors. I think this conversation that we're having about mental health needs to keep happening, and it needs to happen earlier. I've always been so frustrated that in our education systems, we learn so many useless things, and we don't learn any of the things that we should learn, like, doing your taxes or information about home ownership or mental health. Like these conversations need to hit early so that it becomes, and that's what I was talking about before about changing culture. You can only change culture when you intentionally make changes to the existing culture and you identify what is problematic about the culture. So those are some things I think we need to do that infiltration. And then also having these conversations about mental health and also recognizing that the media does play a role in all of this when I told you guys about other studies that were done that were somewhat similar Mm -hmm. to my dissertation study I mentioned I was thinking about looking at the difference between how black folks and white folks respond before I decided that that was not a good expenditure of my time I was like okay that's what I'm gonna do it was so mm-hmm. hard to find pictures of white people being handcuffed or like any interactions <laughs> with police officers. And I'm like, okay, I know that white people be in prisons. And just, so there. It's not like this is right. not happening to them, but for some reason, those pictures don't make it onto the internet. Those pictures don't make it onto the news cycle. So I think there's a, another conversation that needs to be had about why are we so comfortable with black suffering? Like, why are we so comfortable putting that, on display again and again but we we give white folks and even other racial groups this sort of shield this protection that their suffering is is more precious and more private than ours
0: i agree with that i I really do and i appreciate you coming on and you know having this discussion with me and, you know, sharing this with the same Show listeners because you, you definitely provided a great deal of insight and I'm so happy that you are doing the, that you've done the research that you've been doing and, you know, going around and having all these great conversations because we need it. And, you know, these are things that we need to be actively thinking about and actively being contributors to help contribute to uh, the change that we want to be and see as we work our way out of this current situation to you know, make a better world for tomorrow. So, thank mm. you for taking time to come on the Sane Show to have this conversation with me.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. With that being said, you guys are listening to the Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.